Hello and welcome to Piano Rhapsody, an amateur's guide to classical piano. This is a podcast where you follow the musical journey of an amateur piano player who's striving to play advanced level works one day, specifically Gershwin's Rhapsody in Blue, which is where the podcast gets its name. Every week we break down one of the pieces that I encounter along the road to this goal, ranging from the 18th century all the way up to modern day. We'll explore the history surrounding the work, examine the music within, and hopefully we all walk away a little bit more informed and appreciative of classical music. This is episode 19.4, the final episode in a series where we have been learning from the 18 etudes in Frederick Bergmuller's Opus 109, a direct sequel to Opus 100, which we covered way back in series number four of this podcast. During the previous three episodes, we talked about nine of the etudes across numbers 1 through 15. And today, we're going to round out the set with the final three. This is the point when we start building off of several of the previous etudes to a grand finish. Did Bergmuller save the best for last? It's hard to say. That's for you to decide. We start today with etude number 16, which is called Parting, or Separation in some editions. This seems to be a piece to express the strong emotions during a goodbye. The etude is written in the key of E-flat major, the key of full devotion. Love, intimacy, openness, honest communication. This etude takes the octave playing that we practiced in number 12 and combines it with the skill of synchronizing between the hands that we talked about in number 8. The foundation of this etude is built on a series of triplets. But the trick is, the left hand plays the first note of the triplet, while the right hand finishes with the second and third. The first notes of these triplets, played by the left hand, Make up the melody of this etude. Then we'll add in the right hand part, which fills out the rest of these triplets. But we're going to slow down the tempo a bit so we could appreciate the back and forth between the hands. Synchronicity between the hands is important to keep these triplets sounding fluid, which is exactly what A2 number 8 Agitato taught us three episodes ago. And this is making me rethink the intention behind the title of separation. Maybe Bergmuller just meant that the triplets are separated by the hands, and it actually had nothing to do with a goodbye. You know, it's one of the great mysteries of music that died with Bergmuller. As the etude progresses, it starts to require another trick that we picked up along the way, and that is octave playing. 
The melody line is doubled up with octave intervals to give it more oomph and volume. But if the player has been progressing through these etudes as intended, they have already mastered etude number 12, Awakening in the Woods, which taught this technique. So this one should be a piece of cake. These triplet patterns carry on until the very end of the etude, where we have a triumphant, escalating series of chords in the home key of E-flat major. This is etude number 16 from Bergmuller's Opus 109, Parting. Etude 17 is given the generic title of March. This etude is written in the key of F major. F major, the key of passing regret. Complacence, controlled calmness over the readiness to explode. Deeply angry, but composed and sociable. Marches are pieces that are strongly focused on rhythm, and they were originally written to be performed by military bands. In fact, most marches are intended to be played at a tempo of around 120 beats per minute, which is a standard that originates back to Napoleon's army. Since Napoleon was obsessed with conquering as much land as possible, as quickly as possible, his soldiers were ordered to pack lightly and live off the land. And because they were not overburdened with their supplies, they were able to keep up with the marching speed that was set to 120 steps per minute, allowing Napoleon to conquer Europe at a brisk pace. But not all marches have a quick pace. They can run the full gamut of emotion, from slow, sad funeral marches of Chopin, all the way to the lively, patriotic marches of John Philip Sousa. Bergmuller's March Etude falls somewhere in the middle. Its A section has an easygoing, playful vibe with bouncing rhythms and rolled chords. 
The B section has a similar sound to start things off, but it ramps up to a section that explodes with descending octaves across both the hands. Really putting that practice from etude number 12 to use. The standard march has three sections, the third of which is called the trio. The trio section is a quieter, more subdued section of the march, and it typically introduces a key change. Most commonly, it is the fourth degree of the tonic scale, which is also called the subdominant. Since the dominant is the fifth degree of the scale, it makes sense that the subdominant would be the fourth. And Bergmuller follows suit here. He introduces the trio section of his march by changing keys from F major to F, G, A, B flat major, or the subdominant. After the trio, we go back and repeat sections A and B, you know, to give Napoleon's army more time to conquer another country. And our march comes to a satisfying close. This is etude number 17 from Bergmuller's Opus 109, March.
here we are at the summit of Mount Bergmuller. The final etude in the set, number 18, Spinning Song. Well, Bergmuller certainly saved an impressive showstopper for the finale. It's the big brother of etudes number 5 and number 10. We once again have an etude devoted to right-handed passage work, like number 10, Velocity. But on top of adding more taxing hand movements, Bergmuller also throws in a hidden melody, like he did back in etude number 5, The Spring. And he chose a triumphant key in which to set this etude, D major, the key of victorious war cries. Screaming hallelujah, rejoicing in conquering obstacles, war marches, holiday songs, invitations to join the winning team. A fitting key for a finale. Now before we jump into hearing the first section, I'm going to play for you the isolated, hidden melody. And now we just add a bunch of icing to that simple cake. All of the rest of these notes provide flashy effect, but little substance. The right hand has a constant up and down motion that simulates the spinning effect that the title suggests. While the right hand does most of the heavy lifting throughout this etude, the left hand gets a brief moment to shine with this line. And the right hand provides some color to fill in this line. Similar to etude number 10, etudes that are filled with straight-up passage work are difficult to discuss in detail. There are a lot of arpeggios and scale playing required by the right hand, so agility and accuracy are key. Speaking of scale playing, this show pony of an etude ends with a rapid ascent up the D major scale. Closing this collection of etudes in the triumphant sounds of full D major chords. This is the grand finale of Bergmuller's Opus 109, the 18th etude, Spinning Song.
And that's a wrap on Bergmuller's Opus 109. Now that we've covered both Opus 100 and 109, I think for the first time on this podcast, I can say that I don't think we'll hear from this composer again. He did write another work of even more advanced etudes, his Opus 105. But there are so many other pieces in the piano literature at that difficulty level that I would choose to feature over that work. So I don't see them making the cut. Having said that, thank you, Bergmuller, for writing compelling music for the intermediate piano player. Your etudes have withstood the test of time and are still being taught in the modern day. Your musical legacy lives on, and really, isn't that all we could hope for at the end of the day? In two weeks, we're going to start a new series celebrating the current time of year as we explore a grab bag of pieces that embody the season of autumn. You can find the standalone recordings of the pieces we discussed today directly in the podcast feed. Check out Piano Rhapsody on SoundCloud for all of the tracks heard on this podcast and more. You can find me on Twitter, at Piano Rhapsody, or email me at pianorhapsodypodcast at gmail.com. If you haven't already, the best way to support the podcast is to hit the subscribe button on your podcatcher and consider rating or leaving a review. It's the easiest way to never miss a new episode, and it helps the podcast gain more visibility. Thanks as always for your time and your ears, and remember, the piano keys are black and white, but they sound like a million colors in your mind.